do my best to stay behind the podium. You know I don't like it back here, so that'll be interesting. I got to move around a little bit, right? We are in our last um, week of our sermon series called Getting in the Acts. It's about being a part of the community of God. It's about recognizing the fact that we were created. Oh my gosh, that's the best thing I've ever felt in my life. Um, Sorry, that was a total aside and I totally got distracted, but you guys always complain about being cold in here. Is that true? Yes. Mm -hmm. Kyle and I are always really hot. Kyle just turned on a fan for me so that you guys can be warmer and I cannot be so hot. Anyway, that was really wonderful. Thanks, Kyle. That's, that's part of being the community right there. That's thinking about the whole group. Um, we are talking about this idea that you and I were not created to be individuals, to live our individual lives, to have individual success, to take care of our individual nuclear families. Instead, we were created in the image of God. And God is not singular. God exists always and always has existed as community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together as one. And when Jesus came and did his ministry on earth, Jesus didn't do his ministry by himself, though he could have. He chose to do ministry with others. He had the 12 disciples who were that inner circle. And then he had other people outside that group that he was in community with the entire time he did ministry. Though we very much value the power of the individual in the American society, that is not who we are created to be, and that is not where we thrive. So today, we're going to be looking at the idea that community, we've looked at community as care, community as encouragement, and today we're going to see how community includes participation. So we're going to be looking at both Acts 2, which is the place that we have seen the most important thing we want to know about community, then we're also going to be looking at Romans 12. So here's what Acts 2 tells us. They, the first church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers together had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. This is the vision. This is what church looks like. It's not a building. It's not walls. It's not windows. It's people who come together to both experience God and then to be the hands and feet of God. In Romans 12, we see how it is that we can become participants in the body of Christ. This is what Paul writes to the people in Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, 
And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all of the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that God has given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. And if it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of God for the people of God. So as I was thinking about community, and as I was thinking about this idea that we, you and I, cannot be who we were meant to be. We cannot live the life we were meant to lead. We cannot experience the goodness we were meant to experience. It is not possible to have those things without community. And I don't think we realize that. And that's something I want us to carry through this whole talk is this idea that you and I were created to be a part of the body of Christ. We were created to be a part of community. And we cannot experience the fullness of what God has for each of us without being a part of this specific community, the church. Because it is only in community that you and I can be all that we were created to be. Here's an example. Granted, it didn't happen in the body of Christ. It happened in my home, but that's just one step outside of the body of Christ, my friends. When I went back to work, when I first had kids, I was a stay-at-home mom. I stayed home with them for quite a few years. And when Keaton, the youngest at the time before we adopted Maylee, when Keaton was ready for preschool, I went to work. I felt a call to ministry. That's when I started working at the church for the first time. And I remember becoming completely overwhelmed with trying to do it all. I didn't give up any of the responsibilities that I had taken, home as, taken on as a stay-at-home mom, which was all of the traditional household things. I tried to keep control of that while also working and taking kids where they needed to go and doctor's appointments and all of the things. I wanted to do it all because basically I had understood that in order to be valuable in this life, in order to be valuable to my family, in order to be to mean something and to measure up, I had to be able to be independent, right? We're taught that if we're independent, if we can succeed on our own, then we have truly made it in this world. In fact, independence is really an American value. If you look up what American values are, independence and individualism are high on that list. The more that we can do on our own, the more that we can prove our worth, the more that we can do on our own, the more that we value or are valuable to other people. And I remember Joe looking at me during this time and saying, you can't do all this by yourself. And I said, yes, I can. He said, well, maybe you can, but you can't do it well. And I thought, well, that's not very nice. But he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. And he said, we're in this together, you and me. It's not just you that runs this household. We, we do this together. So give me something. Give me something. Take something off your plate. Give it to me so that we can do this together and so that you can do the work that God is calling you to do. Because we both believed that I was being called into ministry. And so I said, all right, I had a good long think. I maybe even prayed about it. And if, if I did pray about it, it's going to be really sad what I tell you that I give him. I prayed, thought about it. And I said, okay, you can do this. You can make the kids lunches. He said, seriously, that's what you want me to do? There's like this whole list of things to do, and you're going to give me the lunches? And I said, yeah, 
I can, that's something that I can see giving up. But even as I gave up the lunches, I said, okay, now here's how you make them. As if there's one way. As if there's one correct way to make lunches to sustain the nutrition of our children. And I'm not going to lie, I stressed about it. I would watch over his shoulder, see what he was doing, because apparently the only correct way to do lunches was the way that I did it. So much had I bought into this idea that I had a certain role and I needed to prove that I could do it all. But the truth is that once I gave up lunches, I learned that Joe wasn't incompetent, go figure. I learned that our children could live and sustain off of many different varieties of things. And I also learned that I could give up more. That in fact, they enjoyed his lunches better than mine, go figure. And that, in fact, our life would be better if we started to do it together instead of me trying to do it all by myself. The truth is that community is the only way we can be free enough to be the people that God created us to be, whether that's here in the body of Christ or that's home or that's at work. Wherever it is, this individualistic value that we have in society is really one of the reasons why we're burning out all the time. It's why we struggle so hard. It's because we're trying to do it by ourselves. We're trying to get mentally well. We're trying to get physically well. We're trying to get spiritually well, and we're trying to get it all together on our own before we show up for other people. But the truth is we can't get it together all on our own. The only way we're going to get it together is by doing it together. And what you see happening here in Scripture, what you first see in Acts 2 is this beautiful picture of what the body of Christ is meant to look like. You see this beautiful picture of people coming together, not only to eat, they ate together regularly, they worshipped together regularly, not just on Sundays, go figure. They also did the work of God together. They sold their property so that they could give it to those among them who didn't have and who were in need. Now, I don't know about you, but that is pretty radical. And I promise you they didn't come up with that idea on their own. They came up with it as they were living and moving together. The body of Christ united not by the work that they were doing, not by trying to build houses together. No, they were united by the Spirit of God which is why the body of Christ is such an important community. The thing that brings us together here in this space, not this building, but in this space, is our desire to grow closer to God, or it should be. If you're here for another reason, I want you to think about that. We do a lot of things here, but the most important thing that we should be doing is coming together, expecting the presence of God with us, expecting that we are stronger together as a community than we can be as individuals on our own. And that's what you see in Acts 2. You see a group of people who are surrendering their individualness, they're surrendering their individual lives, their individual wants, their individual desires, the individual strengths and weaknesses, they're surrendering them for community together. And in that community is where both they grow and people who don't know God come to know God. We are told by Jesus that the two most important things that we can do, that the things that need to rule our life, are that we to love God and to love others. 
love God, and love others. And the way that we are able to do that best is when we come together. So how do we live that Acts 2 life? Our church does not look like that. We have a building. We're not meeting in houses. We don't eat every time we're together, although we do eat sometimes, and it's really good. What does this look like for us? Well, in Romans 12, we see what it looks like to let go of that individual piece of ourselves and to become part of the bigger body. In Romans 12, right before we picked up, there's this, there's this piece of scripture. See, Romans 12, 1 starts with the word therefore. Now, I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you every time we see it. When you see a therefore, you can't start it, therefore. You don't know what the therefore is all about. You got to go a little bit before and see what Paul was talking about before he says, therefore. So right before he says, therefore, this is what Paul says. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been the Lord's counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? And finally, he says, for from him, from God, and through God, and for God are all things. I'm going to say that again. From God, through God, and for God are all things. All good things come from God. All good things are for God. And all good things that we do together are done through God. Therefore, this is when the therefore comes in. Therefore, because this is true, because it's true that you and I cannot do good on our own, because it's true that you and I cannot live and love on our own, because it is true that you and I cannot thrive in this world on our own, we need to do this. And what does he say we need to do? We need to offer ourselves up to God as a living sacrifice. We're most supposed to take our bodies, not just our bodies, our lives, our hearts, and our souls, and give them back to God for the use of God's purpose in this kingdom. We're meant to offer ourselves up to God. And then on top of that, so there's three things. We're, not, we're supposed to offer ourselves up as a living um, sacrifice. Second, we're supposed to actively choose. And this is the hard thing. This is where I get stuck. I'm not going to lie. This is where my individual nature comes out. We have to actively choose not to conform to the patterns of this world. Do you know how hard that is? This world tells us that what is important is money. This world tells us that what is important is power. This world tells us that what is important is status, especially celebrity status. I mean, you are nothing if you are not on the pages of some magazine on that grocery store checkout line, right? Because those people are special and set apart. Those people have made it. And we, in comparison, are nothing. But the reality is, the truth is that as we learn to train our mind to be like God's mind, we learn to let go of this need to be successful in the eyes of the world, to matter in the eyes of the world, to measure up in the eyes of society. Instead, we learn that as a part of a community, we get to experience freedom 
from our biological nature. I'm going to get to that in a minute. The third thing we're told, so first, offer ourselves up. Second, do not conform. Third, do not think of ourselves more highly than we should. And I'm just going to tell you that the height of individualism, the height of being an individual, is this idea that we matter more than others. I'm not saying that you're not important as an individual. You are. You were created by God. You're loved by God, right? All of that's true, but you're not more important than somebody else. You're not more important than the person sitting next to you. You're not more important than the people that you see at Walmart that you judge, because I know you do. (laughs) We are not more important. Our lives are not more valuable than any other life that has been created on this earth. Yet somehow we constantly find ourselves in this situation where we are putting our value above that of others. So to live in community, we are told, just as each one of us, as each one of our bodies has many members, we have ears. So what what are they talking about? Our bodies have ears and eyes and a nose and a leg and fingers and toes. We have all sorts of members attached to our body. And those members mean nothing away from the body. Have you thought about that? Joe and I used to live in Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia, there's this thing called the Mutter Museum. It's a medical museum. And it's just a million different weird things. But mostly, it's a whole bunch of jars full of members of the body that are no longer attached to the body. And you know how much value those members have? A nose in a jar is what? Nothing. An appendix in a jar is what? Nothing. Right? You put it in the body, and it matters. You put it in the body, and it can do what it was meant to do. All of us living our individual lives were just like that stupid nose in the jar. Sorry. But as we try to live as individuals, we are bottling ourselves up. We are removing ourselves from the body of Christ. And we are making it so that we are, um, have to live by the rule of the body instead of the rule of God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be some body part in a jar on the shelf. I don't. When we look at the end of our lives, what's going to matter most? Is it going to matter what you did outside in this world, is it going, how are you going to measure up? How, well, that's dumb. I'm telling you not to think about measuring up. <laughs> I have the privilege of sitting at the bedside of people who are very unwell. It is a privilege. And I promise you, in every experience that I have had sitting with somebody who is days away from leaving this life. What matters to them is not what is in their bank account. What matters to them is not their house or their car. What matters to them is the legacy they're leaving behind of love, the legacy of hope, the legacy of joy, the legacy that can go beyond generations. And when we live our lives for ourselves, we cannot build a legacy that's going to live beyond us. But when we participate in the body of Christ, when we show up and use our body with the gifts that we have been given, then we create a legacy that lasts beyond our own life. We create one that matters in the lives of others 
for years and years to come. I'm begging you today to start thinking about this space, this time, this place, your life in Christ differently. What matters at the end of the day is not what this world wants you to think it is. What matters at the end of the day is not how many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches I put in a lunchbox. Love and the legacy of love that follows after you is what matters. You and I were called to be people of God, living examples of the love of Christ in our communities, in our homes, and at work. Are you that person?